It is hour number two, Darren Donick and Chase, ESPN 1025, the game streaming on the game Nashville app as well. Chase McCabe here with you, Pete and Terry's Tavern at Bridgestone Arena. Predators and Minnesota Wild do battle later on tonight. And while Darren and Willie have stepped away for morning skate duties, we say hello to EJ Raddick from the NHL Network. You can ch- check him out on NHL Now at 3 o'clock Central Time weekdays throughout the season. Vi- visit NHLnetwork.com for your local channel listings. EJ, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. So let's start with this team that uh, we cover here in the Music City, the Nashville Predators. And, uh, I mean, how many times did you come on this station and we talked about Matt Duchesne? Is Matt Duchesne going to become a member of the Predators? Is he not? Where is he going to end up? It finally happens. And so far, EJ, uh, it's been fun because it's paid dividends. He has been uh, a huge contributor to this offense. Yeah, I mean, he's a really good fit there. He's a high-end uh, offensive player. He wanted to be there, as we mentioned, for uh, for a long time, and uh, he's been able to do that. And uh, not surprisingly, the Nashville Predators are scoring goals. I mean, the downside is they're probably giving up more than they would like to at this point in time, but uh, there's no question they're scoring goals, and they're hoping that uh, you know he is going to help them uh, on the power play as well because that was an area last year, and that was a big problem. Yeah, the power play has looked pretty good so far. You know, with the addition of Duchesne, they've changed some things up. They brought in another assistant and Dan Lambert to kind of help with that. So offensively, things are looking really good with the Predators. And and part of their success last year was that top line led by Ryan Johansson and then Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson. They effectively split that up uh, with the addition of Duchesne. And now you're seeing more offense from the top two lines and really the whole lineup. So from the 10,000-foot view that you have, what have you seen offensively from the Predators as a whole? Well, they're just more balanced and, and more uh, and more different threats on different lines. Like you said, last year it was kind of a top-heavy group. Um, you know, for whatever reason, Kyle Turris, they had brought him in, and he was someone that they'd hoped would provide more offense. And it's just it, that hasn't played out at least uh, to this point, although he's off to a pretty good start, uh, you know, this year. And, uh, you know, hopefully he can be more of a factor for them. But, uh you know they got four good centers now, right through their lineup, and uh, you know I, I always felt I always felt they could p- produce more offense even before they got Duchesne, but certainly now that they do have them. It presents some problems for opponents because you know you have to pick your poison as to who you want to try to check, and it opens the uh, opens the situation or opens the game up for some other players. So uh, you know their group of forwards one through twelve, their top four centers one through four. Uh, you know, this is a good group, and it's been evidenced by the production we've seen so far this year. You brought up Kyle Turris, and, and we've talked to a lot of people about him, and I know you've commented on him as well, and, and just why last year was the way it was. I mean, he he chalked it up as it, it was a bad year. David Poyle has said it was a down year, and as you mentioned, he's off to a pretty good start. Still, you have a lot of money tied up down the middle with a Roman Yossi contract looming, I think these are some decisions that David Poyle is going to have to make it at some point in the near future on what this team is going to look like contract-wise, and Kyle Turris is definitely going to be a factor in that. Yeah, because you're right. He takes up a chunk of money, and um, you know, effectively he's been a fourth-line center when everybody's healthy, and uh, you know, he's averaging uh, about 13 and a half minutes a night right now. So uh, when you have to think about how you're going to allocate your money, I mean, you – you move PK Subban out of there to create space for Matt Duchesne. I don't. I don't think you're you're going to be looking to let uh, you know any more of those defensemen go. I mean, I think they still got 
you know, Yossi, Ellis, and uh, Ekholm as the, as the big three, and you know they're hoping that uh, young Dante Fabro is going to be a player for them uh, on a as a top four type guy, and then you fill in behind them. But uh, you know they will have to make some uh, decisions. And if Kyle Turris goes out and has a good year this year, that certainly increases his value on the market. He was a good player in Ottawa. He has been uh, a good player in other places in the past, and. Uh, you know, we'll see if he can get going this year, but uh, it's been a pretty good start. I just wonder, as time has gone on, if it was the fit in the Peter Laviolette style of hockey, was the fit really good for Kyle Turris? In the end, maybe that is just the problem right there, but uh, certainly David Poyle is going to have to look at that because uh, you can ill afford to have, you know, Roman Yossi uh, be leaving town. So they've got to make room for him, and that might be one way to do it. So what do you make of that situation with Roman Yossi? I, I'll be completely honest with you. I thought he was going to get signed during training camp. I thought before the regular season it would get done. And, and I know that they're having on ongoing negotiations and maybe they're close, but it's not done yet. Yeah, until something is done, you know, that's a problem, <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, Roman is he's 29 years old. Uh, you know, he's got, he has an option. I mean, you can't ever get into these guys into their heads, right, and really determine what they're thinking. Because until a contract is signed, there's a possibility they could leave. And uh, you guys saw it play out with Ryan Suter several years back, right? I mean, he, in the end, his desire was to go back and play in his home state there in Minnesota and be part of that group. Uh, you know, Roman, there's no teams in Switzerland, so I don't think Roman Yossi is going to, there's no least NHL teams there, so he's not going to go that route. But it's just hard to know exactly what's going through somebody's mind, but I do think that Yossi uh, likes being in Nashville. Obviously, they love having him. He's the, you know, he's the captain of that team, and uh, I think it's probably just a matter of the commitment of term and dollars. And 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 David is someone. David Boyle, a GM, is someone that you know he's he likes to drive the bargain where he can. And uh, so this is uh you know where we're at. But uh, they've got time to get it done. But if it starts to get into the new calendar year, you start to worry that. You know, you have a player that could be walking away and get nothing in return, and that would be bad news. I think if I'm get, if I'm betting on it, I'm going to say that Yossi is going to end up getting signed and staying there just because I think the relationship is pretty strong. Do you have a number that, that you have in mind? Well, I mean, he's going to, he's looking at it probably, right? He's looking at, uh, I would say, probably eight and a half, nine million. I mean, and so that's the question. Can they find that money to make that work? That's, again, that's probably the sticking point. Maybe he wants more even. It's hard to say. I mean, there's some... Some of the guys, I mean, you have the Drew Dowdies and the Eric Carlson's who are really, you know, making high-end money. Uh, is he going to look at it and say, hey, I need to be at that level? Is he going to look at it and say, hey, John Carlson's uh, an $8 million guy? I mean, that's a good area. Uh, it really always depends on the player. It depends on the term. The, the Preds can give him an eighth year. That's something that he can't get as a free agent. So um, those are things to consider for him. EJ Raddick is with us from the NHL Network. Watch him on NHL Now at 3 o'clock Central Time weekdays throughout the season so discussing this team defensively you brought it up earlier they trade pk suban to the new jersey devils and they have missed that you know defensive ability that he has and i think with this new scheme and and the way things are working offensively you have definitely seen this team miss something at least through nine games on defense what have you seen from him yeah, I mean, I you know, Peter Laviolette likes to play an up-tempo game. He wants his defenseman in the rush. He wants to play uh, fast. And, and when you're playing fast, sometimes you're playing a little loose. And, uh, you know, in the past they had a, an extra guy there that's a real experienced guy in Subban, and now he's out of the mix. So you're you're moving Dante Fabro when he was a younger guy. And so far, you know, the numbers are not bad for him. But 
it's uh, it's definitely something different. And, uh, you know, at the other end of the ring, Pecorene has been really good so far, so he's probably cleaned up some of those mistakes. And when UC Soros has been in there, it's been more of a struggle for him. I mean, the save percentage is down around 850 right now, and he's a better goaltender than that. So, you know, some of it can be looked at as, hey, the goaltending has got to be a little bit better, when, especially when he's been in there. But, you know, this is a team that's a little bit in transition. They're really pushing that offensive game now, and they're going to give up chances in games. And, you know, they're going to have to, they're going to, they're going to ask their goaltenders to, to clean some of that up sometimes. So I think that's where we're at. But, you know, they're scoring, and some of those nights, there's going to be nights where they're going to be able to outscore those mistakes, and there's going to be other nights where it's going to be a tighter game, and they're going to have to be better at defense. Yeah, Dante Favreau, I have to remind myself all the time that he's still a rookie and he's played around 20 games in this league. I just Every time I talk to him, every time I watch him play, I'm like, he's been here for two or three years, but that just isn't the case. And when he does make a mistake, he doesn't make the same mistake twice. Yeah, like, listen, he was a high-end uh, prospect and uh college kid ended up coming out and jumping in last year in the, uh, the late in the regular season and in the postseason and you know, they got high hopes for him. And the Predators, as you guys know, over the years, they've done a really good job of drafting and developing defensemen. They've had a number of good ones come through there, and they're hoping he's just the latest of that group. And it helps that Shea Weber was his favorite player growing up. That That's a pretty there good influence go. right there. EJ, that's, a, that's a guy, that's a good guy to look to. <laughs> EJ Raddick here with us. So the Central Division right now, Colorado in the driver's seat, albeit very early in the season. I don't think you can crown a Stanley Cup champion in October. But the Colorado Avalanche looking pretty good. And this is a team that the Predators saw a couple of years ago in the playoffs, and we all kind of felt like this could happen. Yeah, they're definitely coming. I mean, the Avalanche, they are loaded uh, with talent. They made some really nice moves in the offseason. When you think about, you know, they had an excess on the blue line. Tyson Berry was going to his last year. They didn't think they were going to be able to resign him. They move him, and they get... They get Nazem Kadri back, who was really a great fit as a second center. I like the other guys they brought in this year. Uh, uh, Pierre Edward uh, Belmar, he had been to the finals with Vegas. He's a good, you know, bottom six type of guy, great character guy. Jonas Donskoy, big winger, had been to the cup final with the San Jose Sharks, uh, another helpful player, you know, for your group. So, uh, you know, I, I like a lot of the things that Joe Sackick and uh, Chris McFarlane and, and Brad Smith are doing there. The the kind of management or the hockey ops group there. And, uh, you know, they're just loaded up front when you think about McKinnon. Ranton is out now for a bit. Um, they added Andre Burakovsky to it. forgot about him. Talented guy. They got Landon Scott. I mean, this is just a really talented group. And, you know, they got Cal McCarr this year as a rookie. Who You talk about a guy who doesn't look anything like a rookie. He's definitely in that category. And, uh, you know, they're going to have guys that are in their system that are coming behind uh, players like that. So, the Colorado Avalanche are going to be a team to deal with in the next, you know, if nothing changes and if they stay relatively healthy, they've got a decade of really, I think, exciting hockey ahead of them. When you look at, at teams that are for real, and again, 10 games or less into the season, I know it's really hard to, to gauge that, but we saw Vegas a few weeks ago, the Predators played out there. I think Vegas is for real. I, I, I really like their style of play. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good team. I mean, my only concern with them is is their, their defense. I mean, Nate Schmidt is out right now, so that's a big loss for them. He is their puck-moving uh, leader on that team, and when he's not there, they're, they're just, quite frankly, it's a pretty average group. So they need to get him back in the lineup at the deadline. If there's any way to squeeze another defenseman into that group, it'll probably be something that George McPhee would love to do. Um, but Flurry has been great. you got to hope that he don't, they don't uh, you know wear him down. 
Uh, he's on track to play nearly 70 games this year. I think that's too many by today's the way the game is played today to ask a guy then to have, give you those two really good months in the playoffs. When they made it to the final two years ago, Flurry had missed a lot of time with injury and played, I think, you know, around 40 games that year. So uh, they've got to figure that situation out. But up front, they're pretty strong. They're pretty experienced. they got a lot of offensive firepower. And, you know, uh, it's been a really well-run program there with Gerard Gallant for a couple of years. So I think they're very good. But I do worry, uh, you know, like I said, the defense and, uh, you know, if they're going to get Flurry the needed rest as the season goes on. Well, we will see how it all plays out. Again, it is very early in the season, but always oh, good yeah. always good to talk to you, EJ. We appreciate it. You got it. Anytime. EJ Raddick of the NHL Network. Again, NHL Now at 3 o'clock Central Time weekdays throughout the season. V- visit NHLnetwork.com for your local channel listings. Chase McCabe, it's Darren Donick and Chase. We're live at Pete and Terry's Tavern here at Bridgestone Arena. The Predators and the Minnesota Wild Later on tonight, we'll have much more coming. Darren and Willie will rejoin the show. Again, Tim Hasselback from ESPN. He usually joins us on Wednesday. He will be coming up at the bottom of the hour here on Nashville's Best Sports Talk. We are ESPN 1025 The Game. We're here, ESPN 1025 The Game, live at Pete and Terry's Tavern at Bridgestone Arena. Darren Donick and Chase, Chase McCabe, and (laughs) Willie Donick has joined us after morning skate. Willie, hello. Welcome in. Hello, Chase. I enjoyed the tune there that I know, uh, good. Max had over there. It's good. Appreciate uh, EJ Raddick from NHL Network for joining us in the last segment. Always good to talk to him. Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet coming up at 1 o'clock. Oh, yeah. Today we'll have Tim Hasselback from ESPN here in just a few minutes, so we're hitting a lot of different things. And I know you're excited because this will be your first time to talk to Elliot because he made his debut on the show last week. I mean, you've talked to him in the past, but for the weekly segment, I should say, uh, coming up at 1. I'm really looking forward to that, and and I hope a lot of people because I, I'll be honest, you know, the first few years that the team was here, you know, I was just trying to get my bearings. I didn't know much about the coverage. Uh, I knew about Hockey Night in Canada and all that stuff, but I, I didn't know all the figures that went into it. I knew Don Cherry was, but when we first had Elliot Friedman on, I was like, I was trying to place the name with the face and everything, and only after we talked to him. For the very first time, and I can tell you the first time we had him on, it was right after, um, I think it was right after, the Predators signed Paul Correa, or it might have been a little bit later. But it was uh, it was eye-opening. I, I, I right. honestly think he is as good or better than anybody out there that covers the game. His 31 thoughts, which come out on uh, sportsnet.ca every week, uh, you go around the league, and I think David Poyle referenced this on Tuesday that, there are certain guys you read what they write yeah. because you get the pulse of what's going on. He said there are times where there's a note in there, and I feel like I need to follow up. Right. And that shows you that he's in the he's in the flow of you know, the hockey pulse around the league. So this is a real treat for us to have a guy like that on every week. So I look forward. Put it down on your appointments every week, Thursdays at 1. This is must-listen to. Yeah, and remember – that you have to listen to it because then we're going to ask you a question about something he said in the interview oh. and you have a chance to win tickets. Wow. So Even more so. I mean, that should be even more of an incentive to tune in at 1 o'clock to Elliot Friedman. Uh, so what do we learn out of Morning Skate? Um, looks like Philip Forsberg probably not going to be back. He was skating before Morning Skate. I know I saw Robbie Stanley of NHL.com put that out on Twitter that he was skating about an hour before. But it looks like pretty much – more of the same that we saw the other night. I think 
you could say with uh, probably 99% certainty when a guy goes out and skates before the group comes out that that this is part of the process of coming back into the lineup, but yeah. that night it's not going to happen. So I think you uh, can can pretty much say that Forsberg, barring a, a huge turn of events, will not be in there tonight. Yarn Croak, Johansson, Arvidsson, Granlin, Turris, Duchesne, Grimaldi, Bonino, Smith, Salamaki, Sissons, Watson were the forward yep. lines. So that's same as the last the last game. Yep. And when you win 6-1, not a bad idea to roll it out the same way. It does look like there might be a change on D. I didn't I didn't see for sure, but I saw Yannick Weber was skating after. Yep. So it looks like Matt Irwin might be in there for Yannick Weber. Uh we were doing some math here. I know the third defense, the third defense pair has been scrutinized a lot, but the last five games they've been even or plus together. Now this is the first time they've shaken it up. It's been Hamus and Weber the last five games, all all even or plus from those guys. So we'll see if that can continue. Matt Irwin gets back in there. He's only played two games, yeah, so far. Minnesota Wild uh, without Devin Dubnik, so that's. That's going to be a change for them as he got injured the other night. But after he went out, Alex Stalock, who is the guy that will play tonight, played very, very well. And Stalock's numbers are a lot better, quite honestly, yeah. than, than Dubnik's. Uh, he's got a 1.64 goals against and a 9.42 save percentage. He came in for Dubnik and continued right on and did not give up a goal to the Edmonton Oilers, who had been playing great. So for whatever reason, the last couple of games, the Wild have played – the best they've played all year so far. They've got two wins. They've done it in impressive style. And so they're going to come in here a lot more confident than they did, I think, even on opening night. These are the games, Willie, that I'm not going to say worry me, but ones that I perk up a little bit just because, you know, it's what we were talking about yesterday, the whole playing down to, to the competition. And, and everybody looks at the Minnesota Wild right now, and I say everybody meaning, you know, fans and us, they're like, ah, they're not very good. But I think this team knows they're in the Central Division, and they do have some good players. They, they haven't put it all together yet. Their goalie is hurt. You mentioned Staylock and the numbers. But this is a game where I want to see the same effort I saw against Anaheim the other night. I think this is a very important game. And as we said uh, yesterday, I think even though the score was 6-1 to one against Anaheim, there's still a lot of things that they're trying to iron out defensively, yeah. but there were some steps forward there. And I, I think I heard uh, – Somebody say down there, you know, we love when Pekka is that great. We want, we don't want him to have to be that great right. every night. There are nights where you just have to have your goalie play great, but you want to in an ideal fashion not to give up that many top-level scoring chances. So I think that'll be a challenge tonight. But I know you look at the record and it says three and six, but when a team has won the last two, they they're feeling it. They 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 know they felt like they were better all along. And just reading some of the stuff coming out of that locker room, uh, they had that sort of eye-opening quote from Jason Zucker, saying, "Hey, everybody's got to be better." He even mentioned the coach by name. He said, "Bruce has got to be better." We, he, I don't think he right. meant to call out the coach, but a lot of people look at, looked at it and interpreted it that way. But since then, it seemed like yeah. that kicked in. The chemistry's been good, and they've won two straight games. Well, and look, I mean, it's a different era. The The Paul Fenton era was, was one and done, and now uh, Bill Guerin is the GM there. So I think a lot of people are looking around and, and looking over their shoulder of thinking, okay, could this change? Or, you know, what is, what is the process, what is the timeline for Bill Guerin to do an evaluation of everything going on yeah. here? And a, a guy that we all know, Kevin Fiala, has been 
a healthy scratch at times. So he, he's, he was a healthy scratch in one game, and then he got hurt. So I, I'm not sure what his status is for tonight. They haven't skated yet. In, in fact, in a few minutes, they'll probably uh, take the ice and we'll maybe get a feel. But you, yeah. don't, you don't think he's going to be in there? I I've kind of have a, a hunch that he may not be. But we'll find out. Yeah, as you we'll said, we'll take a look skate. in a couple minutes here. But uh, I, I think we should ask Elliot about Bill Guerin because yeah. he has been – it was in the 31 thoughts, and I think Bill Guerin is a guy that, number one, he's got a huge name, right? He's been in the game a long time, decorated player, uh, under the tutelage of some great general managers. He's been on winning teams, and a lot of people are looking to him to see, as a first-time GM, what he's going to do. And I think so far, the, con- the, the, the vibe is he's going to take the long road here. He's yeah. going to be patient. He's not going to be itchy to try to make moves. So that is a big storyline going on around the league here. What will he do to try to make that roster better over time? We will talk to Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet coming up at 1 o'clock, get his thoughts, 31 thoughts on that. Uh, But when we come back, our weekly visit had to move it to today with Tim Hasselbeck from ESPN. He joins us next on Darren Donick and Chase, ESPN, 102.5 The Game. You know what that music means? Yeah, we're ready. Back here on Darren Donick and Chase, live at Pete and Terry's Tavern. Predators and Wild tonight, 7 o'clock puck drop. I'll have pregame for you at 6. Everything heard right here on ESPN 102.5, the game. Tim Hasselbeck, silly underdog picks, by the way, coming up at high noon, is on Whatever. the line with us. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Tim, Tim you can doing? you pick for me? Uh, yeah, I can pick for you. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, we uh, probably, he, I mean honestly, is is like tied at the hip as, as we are. We'd probably just do the same picks anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I'm looking for different picks because I'm over right now. So <laughs> maybe we shouldn't do the same. I mean, it's a little bit. You know, we're we're a little bit like you know, we you know we finish each other's sentences. We're we're like that that episode in that movie Frozen, right? Or that, that song was that song. The Let yeah. It Go. Let It Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know how they like uh yeah. That's, that's Chase and I. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd be over. If I was thinking, I'd be over. Kind of like this conversation, uh, we're going to let that go. <laughs> switch gears to, to football. Um, what did you make of Ryan Tannehill's start on Sunday versus the Chargers? Um, but, you know, I thought, you know, even though, like, anytime you come in after not being the guy, um, you know, they'll ultimately would be some rust, no matter how much you've been a starter before, you know, just the, the speed of the game and, and that type of stuff. And, um you know, I think I've probably just used the term before, like, hey, you know, does the guy play winning football? Does he give you a chance to win? And, you know, I'm not you know, a person that kind of, you know, will phrase things that way. And I thought he did. I, I thought he, you know, played winning football. Um, was it perfect? No. Are the things that he could probably have done better? Sure. But I think ultimately, um, when you look at the, the few plays that he made, it was good enough to, you know, give the defense an opportunity late in the game to make a stop, which they were able to do. So, you know, could uh, could Marcus have played a similar, you know, fashion? Have we seen that from him? Yes. But I think now what you're looking for is, you know, can Ryan sustain, you know, a handful of these in a row, you know, to be in a situation where, you know, they feel better about the move. You commented on NFL Live this week about Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. For people who have not heard your comments, just kind of take us through what you were discussing in both quarterbacks in year five and where they stand 
today with our current teams? Yeah, I think the you know, I don't, you know, we've done a number of segments and those guys are obviously linked and, and you know, we you know, so it's always gonna come up and then obviously when they face each other it comes up even more. But um you know, I think you know, the question that was posed to me was, you know, uh which guy is more likely to be back with his team next year and I think it would be Jameis Winston. And not that Jameis has been really any better than Marcus has been, but um you know, there's a new coach down in Tampa who, you know, is trying to get Jameis to play better. And I think there are some that have, that believe that even if it doesn't go perfectly for Jameis this year, that they may, you know, find some type of deal to come to terms with, with him where he still remains the starter and maybe, uh, you know, there's an out for the team, you know, a year or two down the line. Whereas I think when you look at Marcus's situation, you know, it's it's different. There's a new coach in terms of, the coach that drafted him, but at the same time, you know, that coach has made a move to go look at somebody else and to play somebody else. And I think that, you know, I, I wouldn't anticipate that Mike Vrabel is, you know, uh, going to change his mind a number of times, you know, throughout the rest of the season. And with that being the case, there's a pretty good shot that Marcus has started his last game for the Tennessee Titans and is more likely than Jameis Winston to be elsewhere. Can you explain to us in our listening audience, by the way, we're talking with Tim Hasselbeck, brought to you by Wyatt Johnson Ford, just because you played the position, how it's one thing. There have been guys who have been turnover prone, but they've been able to overcome that and still have very, very productive long careers or even Hall of Fame careers, Brett Favre and others. We know that. But but how do you explain like a Jameis Winston who – at times can just light it up. You can go to L.A. and put 55 on the Rams, but then turn around the very next game and go to London and throw five picks and the Bucks have, what, what they have seven turnovers in the game? Like, how, do, how does that happen? How do you go from one week of beating the team, putting hanging 55, and I know some of it was the defense, but hanging mm-hmm. 55 out at their place on the team that just represented the NFC in the Super Bowl, and then the very next week, playing a Carolina team and just being just awful. How do you explain that in year five? Yeah, well, so what I would say is, um, you know, I think each quarterback is different. You know, certainly there's going to be ups and downs for, for every quarterback. I mean, let's not forget, a few years ago, Tom Brady, you know, had a bad performance against the Chiefs, and everyone's saying, okay, you know, he's done. And so I think that, you know, the peaks and valleys for guys that, you know, aren't as good or aren't as consistent, you know, they, they pop up, you know, more and down more, if you will. And so I think there's an element of that. I, I've always felt like, and I remember talking to you guys about Jameis when he was coming out in the draft, basically talking about, like, I, he's he's always been reckless with the ball. Like, they are a team, you know, at, at Florida State that, like, they were better off when they were playing from behind than when they were protecting a six-point lead just because of the way he is with the ball. He, he's aggressive naturally. He takes chances. He's very talented in terms of how he can throw, and I think that at times he, he pushes the envelope with it. And so I think there's that element. And then in terms of, you know, other turnovers – he, to me, has never really improved at ball security in the pocket and as a runner. And, you know, I was around two different players in my career at two different positions that, 
changed who they were as players in terms of ball security. One was Kiki Barber, who was a very good player, but was fumbling all the time. And Tom Coughlin and the running back coach, Gerald Ingram at the time, changed the way he carried the football. Because they basically said to him, you're good, but if you're fumbling, we can't play you. And so he changed the way he carried the football and ended up finishing his career much better than the middle part of his career. And then the other guy is Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner basically gets replaced by Mark Bolger in St. Louis because he keeps fumbling. You know, he's throwing some interceptions, but it was really the fumbling that was the problem. Well, he then goes to the Arizona Cardinals and is about to take over for Matt Leinart, and they tell him, Ken Wisenhunt and Todd Haley tell him, we want to play you, but we can't play you if you're going to continue to fumble in the pocket. And so that's when, I don't know if you guys remember, but Kurt Warner switched and started wearing gloves. He started wearing gloves mainly in an effort to just have better ball security while he's carrying the ball in the pocket. And so, um, you know, I just I think, you know, some guys work on things to get better and improve so they have more highs than lows. And I think for Jameis and really the same for Marcus, you know, it just it, it hasn't turned out that they've been able to eliminate the, you know, kind of those, those dud of games that everyone seems to remember. Tim Hasselback is with us. and So, Tim, let's switch back to uh, Ryan Tannehill for a moment here because this is another historical thing we've discussed. A lot of times by this time in a person's career, you are what you are. But there are some guys in history that once they had a change of scenery, for whatever reason, it was a fit with the new team. Uh, your, your dad played with Jim Plunkett, I remember, when, when all of a sudden he became a guy that won a couple of Super Bowls. Rich Gannon comes to mind. There, there's some it's rare exceptions, but in, in a best-case scenario, is Tannehill maybe just the right fit for this personnel? Yeah, there's a chance that it fits him better than, um, you know, what he's experienced in the past. I mean, let, let's face it. Let's just look at the Miami Dolphins and, you know, and just be fair about the fact that they played in division with the Patriots. Um, they've gone through a number of different coaches. It clearly hasn't been, you know, a situation there in, you know, the – I guess he was there seven years, and the seven years that he was there where, you know, you think, okay, yeah, that, that's going to be a perfect situation for a young quarterback. A young quarterback, by the way, I think Ryan had 17 starts um, coming out of school. You know, it, it's not like he had a ton of snaps under his belt at quarterback at Texas A&M. And so, you know, so he's coming into the league, you know, not having played quarterback the previous four years at Texas A&M. And then there's coaching turnover, and then there's kind of, you know, drama and stuff going on on the team. And so could you envision, you know, another scenario, whether it's here or somewhere else, where, you know, he plays better? Absolutely. I think there are plenty of indicators that you could feel like, you know what, in a different situation with better support and, you know, more stability at the coaching position, could he, could he be, you know, playing more consistently? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. All right, we'll step away. We'll come back more with Tim Hasselback on the other side, of course, brought to you every week by Wyatt Johnson 4. Back to wrap up the second hour of Darren, Donick, and Chase next. Pete and Terry's Tavern is the location today for Darren, Donick, and Chase. That means the Predators are home tonight. They take on the Minnesota Wild. Coverage starts at 6 o'clock here on the game. Darren McFarland, joined by Hal Gill, 
And, of course, the voice of the Preds, Pete Weber, will have the game for you on Fox Sports Tennessee as well. Tim Hasselback with us. We're talking NFL. Special day and time for Tim Hasselback today. Glad to have him as always. So He's the best. So, Tim, uh, just looking around uh, the, the league, let's, let's look at the opponent uh, this week for the Titans, it, it, trying to build off of, of what they're doing here. The Buccaneers, you got talking about Winston, but I, I'm curious your take on Bruce Arians. I, I know uh, with Kelly Holcomb, the relationship we've had with him for years on the show here, one of the guys he's always spoken fondly about, and he played for a lot of coaches just like you did, he loves Bruce Arians. And I, I, I know he's really had a lot of stress. And he's been through a lot of health issues. As he tries to make his mark on, on the Bucks. what are you seeing? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Bruce, and one of the reasons somebody like Kelly would like him, and um, there, there are plenty of quarterbacks that have played for him that have enjoyed playing for him. I think because of you know his experience probably as a player and then his experience you know, coaching the position. He's coached the position for a long time, and he's been around some good ones. And so, you know, whether it's been, you know, listen, a guy like Kelly Holcomb, who, you know, I believe probably had the best year of his career around him. Um, you know, you think about, um, you know, somebody like, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, who, you know, was devastated when Pittsburgh moved on from him, that Andrew Luck had him early in his career. And, you know, anybody that, that has played for him that I've been around is always like, oh, hey, PA's the best, PA's the best. I and mean, that's just, you know, kind of the, their reaction to him. Um, you know, I I think that he understands offensive football. I think he does a good job calling plays. I think he does a good job designing plays, you know, all of that stuff. I, I think in, in many respects he's kind of been, uh, you know, in some ways like the offensive version of Rex Ryan. You know, he's he's very bold with things that he says. Um, and, uh, you know, I think people just kind of, you know, shrug it off if that, that's how he is. But I just think as a, you know, as a head coach, when you look at his time in Arizona or you look at, you know, the early time here, I think what you could expect is improved offense, but, you know, also probably a little bit of a concern of like, okay, well, like what's the, what's the end game for them as the head coach? Like are they, is he really getting it turned around? Is the culture changing enough? that they end up being a Super Bowl contender. And then especially when you consider what that division looks like and, um, you know, and even with, you know, some teams going through their own struggles, it's not like, uh, you know, Tampa has, has been in a situation where, you know, they look like they're making a run at it. I mean, that's that, that's how I, I would see it. And it doesn't mean it's a, a total, um, you know, shot at, at, at Bruce Arians, but, you know, the reality is, is you look at somebody like Ron Rivera, who's in the division, he's playing with a different quarterback, and he's got his team absolutely rallying. Uh, I want to ask you about another program, basically, what, what you're seeing with the Colts, because I, here they are sitting at 4-2. and two. They don't look like world beaters, but they seem to give themselves a chance every week. They're 4-2. and two. They've got the Broncos coming in. They're a relatively heavy favorite based on, you know, the, the way this league goes. You don't. You're not favored by more than three or four points most weeks. They've got a great opportunity at home to go to five and two. So are you surprised that they've been this solid, or, or are you not surprised just because it looks like Frank Reich and, and the way they've built that roster up the last couple of years has been pointing in that direction for a while? Yeah, I'm not surprised at the success that Frank Reich has had. I remember talking to Nick Foles a couple off-seasons ago when you know Frank left to, to take the Colts job and – and Nick, you know, was 
basically saying, like, the guy I think we're going to miss is Frank Reich. I mean, that's, you know, he was kind of talking from a Philadelphia Eagles perspective. I mean, he, I think he meant that much to that Eagles team. And, you know, Doug Peterson's getting a lot of the credit as he should because he's the head coach. But I think Frank was doing a lot there. And I think that that he was getting a lot out of players there. And I think it's one of the reasons, you know, Nick felt that way about him. And then talking to other players that have been around Frank, I'm not surprised that he's doing as well as, as he's doing. And then, you know, Chris Ballard, you know, made the comment that I think a lot of people say, like, hey, you know, this isn't going to be just about one guy here. And, you know, he had to do it because of the injuries to Andrew Luck and, and what they were dealing with. And so what they've done is they've built a pretty strong team, and, and they're they're good up front on both sides of the ball. And I think that, you know, if you're good up front on both sides, then you at least have a chance. It doesn't mean that you are going to be good, but but it's giving your skill position guys a chance to be good. And I think that's exactly what the Colts have done. Is Marlon Mack way better than other guys? No, but does he run really well because he's got good guys in front of him? Yeah. And, and Jacoby Brissett's playing better, and T.Y. Hilton can get the ball, and Eric Ebron. All of a sudden you're like, well, why is he better than he was in Detroit? It's like, well, maybe because he's getting a chance. And then you look at a team like Cleveland where they're not good up front. And – even though they have all these great skill position players, they're not winning and they're not playing, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, playing at the level we think they would play. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that they're not built, you know, up front. And so I think Chris Ballard's done a nice job with that. Tim Hasselback, ESPN NFL analyst here with us on Darren Donica Chase. It's brought to you by Wyatt Johnson Ford every week. So Tim, uh, you know, when Adam Schefter talks, we tend to listen. Uh, just like mm-hmm. when you Good talk, idea. we tend to listen. Um, and Shefty on, on Sunday, I guess it was, was talking about Tom Brady and how, you know, it, it was more of an opinion piece. I don't think he was really reporting anything, but mm-hmm. that, you know, he's got a year left and he sold his house and you could connect some dots that maybe he might leave the New England Patriots, which I know is is pretty crazy to think. But we were talking about it on the show yesterday and threw out, OK, if you were to connect him to some teams, what would make the most sense? I did bring up the Tennessee Titans because of his relationship with Mike Vrabel and John Robinson, but do you think it, it is – is it crazy to think that at 42, almost 43 years old, that Tom Brady could go play somewhere else next season? I mean, it seems crazy to me, but, you know, you said at the, the start, like when Adam Schefter says something, you know, it should get your attention. I've been around Adam for a long time and I've been friends with him for a long time. There isn't anything – that he says on TV where he doesn't think about what the ramifications are of, of what he says. You know, like if he is saying something, and even if it's not a report, even if it's kind of an opinion-type deal, he knows that if he says something like, uh, you know, look, it, 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 he is possibly setting the stage to go somewhere else, he knows that that's going to be taken as a report by so many people. So, um He's not saying that just because it's a random opinion of his, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. And, you know, I, I certainly don't need to vouch for, for Adam's credentials, but, you know, he's right about a lot of stuff, Patriots, and he's right about a lot of stuff, Tom Brady, and whether it's a Michigan connection or who knows, you know, how Adam's getting his information. The reality is, is that, in the business, if you went and you just kind of looked at the track record, he's right about 
a lot of stuff. And so for him to say that, you know, there's probably a little bit of smoke there. It's not just, you know, a, a random opinion of, of Adams. And, um, yeah, I think that you, it probably makes sense to just kind of wonder this contract situation, the house in the market, you know, whatever it may be, you know, the fact that, you know, there's been, you know, some battles, you know, in the past there. Yeah. What I think he would leave. No, I don't. But, but Adam wouldn't say that if it wasn't some, something real to it. So before we wrap this up, just a hypothetical, if you're the Titans and you know, you're going to be in the market for a quarterback, which is how it appears right now. Do you go on the premise of one year, let's say 30-ish million, you get Brady to come in and just say, hey, you do you? Well, I don't think there's any question if you, if you were like, hey, we're going to try to be good. I mean, you're only, you know, two examples of something like that where a guy's been a legend in a certain city and come and just kind of been a bit of a mercenary for a couple of years. I mean, the options basically are, are Brett Favre and um, – you know, the recent memory, Brett Favre and Peyton Manning. And, right. you know, while Favre didn't go to the, the Super Bowl, I mean, he got him pretty darn close to the Super Bowl, and obviously Peyton in Denver, you know, was outstanding. So, yeah, I mean, listen, if you need a quarterback and Tom Brady somehow is available, yeah, I think you do everything you can. I, I would just think that if Brady ever was available, um, you know, the if Brady was ever available, I think – He's deciding where he's going. I don't know if he's being talked into to where he's going. I think that he's making that decision, much like, you know, much like it seemed like Peyton was, you know, at the time that, that he was doing it, which was different than Favre. Um, listen, the guy I think is interesting for for the Titans would be a guy that grew up not far from here is Philip Rivers. Yep. Like if you were looking for a guy at the end of his career that you thought could maybe play well and, and give you better quarterback play than you've had you know, Philip, it would be Philip Rivers. I mean, that's, I don't know if he would do it, but, but he would be the guy that would be the first one that jumps to the top of my mind. I'd give all of his kids jobs, too. They could do stuff around the facility, you know? Pick <laughs> up trash I don't know or that whatever, I don't, clean clothes. Daycare. Daycare, whatever, for the younger ones. Are there that many jobs available? Are there that many jobs available in Nashville? <laughs> I lost track. Has he had a dozen yet, or can he field a football team? Does he have 11, or is it 10? I'm pretty sure that, he, I'm I'm almost positive he has nine and maybe a tenth on the way, but I'm pretty sure yeah. he has nine. Maybe he just had nine. I, Which, I think it's yeah. So arena football. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think they're I ready just, to play. I can't imagine. I don't I don't. My mom is one of twelve kids. I'm not sure how people do it. I really don't. <laughs> I, I don't either. I, we've got a couple baseball families. They have six, and I'm thinking six. I have no clue how they do that. And you know, we're talking nine, ten. I. God bless them, but I don't know how you do it. That's that's amazing, uh, Tim. Good. By the way, we agree with you. I think if you were looking for a short short term fix, uh, Philip Rivers would be as about as good as it gets in mm-hmm. in our opinion. So hey, thanks there's, for doing. There's this. gonna be guys. Think about it. Eli Manning, Philip Rivers. What Roethlisberger's situation is. What that does to you, you know the situation in Pittsburgh. Uh, Andy Dalton. That situation. Whatever happens with the veterans in Washington, and what does Alex Smith end up doing? I mean, there, there are all kinds of things that, that are going to take. Bridgewater is going to be in the mix. I mean, there's going to be a lot of change. That The Denver situation with Flacco and, you know, there's going to be a lot of turnover this year. No doubt about it. Tim, have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you next week. Cool. See you guys.
Tim Hasselback, ESPN uh, NFL analyst, and of course our analyst every week, and he's brought to you by Wyatt Johnson Ford. We come back, kick off the next hour with silly underdog picks. That's next.